Today's scripture reading is from Hebrews chapter 10. Um, You can grab that in one of the Pew Bibles, uh, and the page is 1007. So it's Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, look at Hebrews 10 here. Pretty long chapter, a lot of verses in here, so we're going to try to get through all of it. I've been uh, pleasantly surprised to hear from some of you who have shared that Hebrews is your favorite book in the entire Bible, and I was just uh, surprised because um, usually I don't hear that this is the favorite book of the Bible. But I, I think I, I'm just um, encouraged to hear from some of you who say you are because you're really diving deep into the Christology uh, behind our faith. And so it's just really encouraging to hear. Um, the last words of Christ, you know, he says, it is finished uh, when he's crucified. And it's just not a, a common saying that someone would have as they are dying crucified on the cross. Um, Usually you'd probably have somebody cursing at the Roman guards or screaming or just saying different things. If you can imagine you're taking your last breath, uh, what what are you going to be saying? Who are you going to be cursing out at? How are you going to be reacting to dying? And so for Christ to say it is finished, why, why is he saying that? And so this is what the first 18 verses in Hebrews chapter 10 explains. And, and summarizes why Jesus said this victory statement essentially is what it is, to say it, it is finished, that his mission was accomplished, that he's fulfilling the word of God. And if you skip down to verse 10, it reads this, And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That the mission was done, mission accomplished. That Jesus Christ purposefully, freely, lovingly bore our judgment in our place. That Christ secured salvation for us. Christ established this new covenant where we would receive once and for all the forgiveness of sins through his sacrifice. Now some may ask, why did Christ even have to die? And here it is in the first four verses. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers having once been cleansed would no longer have any conscience of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. 
The chief covenant of the forgiveness of sins was fulfilled in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. And this law was but a shadow, and yet it was an annual reminder of what needed to be done for redemption, continually pointing to the perfect redemption in Jesus Christ. The plan of redemption was always a Trinitarian plan, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the sacrifice was in, in accordance to God the Father's plan. Continuing on in verse 5, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. I have come to do your will is found in verse 7, repeated in verse 9. Jesus, the Son, was always part of this redemptive plan. You take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. It reads this. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. The writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm chapter 40. He ties King David's psalm there to Jesus doing the will of God. So what is the will of God, the Father, for Jesus Christ, the Son? Let's look at the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 53, starting in verse 10. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is prophesied many centuries before God incarnate Jesus shows up on earth, and it is the prophesying of the suffering servant who will be crushed and be the sin bearer for all of us. And it isn't the physical sacrifices and offerings that God was looking for. The sacrifices and the offerings are to reflect our heart, our love, our obedience toward God. Otherwise, they mean nothing to God. And so Jesus Christ comes to do the will of, the, of God the Father. And then there's this brief conversation that we can find in John chapter 4. This brief conversation is between Jesus and his disciples about the will of God, picking up in verse 31 in John chapter 4. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Jesus then said in John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. 
Then in John chapter 6, verses 38 through 40, Jesus said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The work of atonement is grounded in the plan of God the Father, and this was the eternal plan, that God initiated this plan for our redemption, that God makes it possible for us to establish fellowship with him through Jesus Christ. Now going back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And I tried to Go back to finding the will of God to take us back to Hebrews 10 here. And by that will, we have been sanctified. And so we see how the Father's plan here runs parallel to the Son's sacrifice. Verse 11, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. We've been covering this briefly over the last few weeks, but talking about how the work of the Levitical priest was never done. So we read the contrast here between the priest who's constantly standing and doing something to Christ who we find here is seated because his work is complete. It's finished. Now what is Christ doing? Verse 13, Waiting from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So no further offering, sacrifice needed ever again. Nothing else needed. God's plan is perfect. God's sacrifice is perfect in Jesus Christ. Where we are accepted by God, forgiven of our sins, restored and included in God's family. This is the Trinitarian plan, so we may not forget the Holy Spirit here, we haven't brought him in yet, who is currently with us as we are confidently standing in the work of Jesus Christ. Christ who willingly bore our sins, God the Father who didn't put Jesus Christ there because he was doing something punitive or that it wasn't something Jesus was willing to bear, but Jesus wasn't forced to do this. He's willingly, freely deciding to do this. The Father was willing to bestow salvation on His Son. The Son is willing to give of Himself. God wasn't punishing Jesus. And Jesus wasn't there persuading God, God, please, let's, let me do this, because this is the only way that this is done. It, it is Father and Son together planning to save sinners. Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect harmony planning this redemptive plan. Verse 15, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying, so the Holy Spirit applies the truth of Christ to our lives. Christ ascended. He gave us the Holy Spirit as promised. Knowing God isn't formulaic or religious, but a spiritual reality that is received by the believer that actually looks foolish to those who don't believe. But by the Holy Spirit, Everything's new. And the word of God comes alive. That the old covenant keeps reminding people of their sins, that 
that they just could never get rid of, could never shake. And then the New Testament, the New Covenant reminds people that they are forgiven. They are forgiven of their sins by Jesus Christ's blood. And so that's why we do communion here every week. That this is the Spirit's testimony. That this is an invitation to this table. The table is for those who trust in the sacrifice of our Lord. So that grape juice symbolizing Christ's blood. Those crackers broken and they have, pierce, they have piercings in them. You see those markings on there. Symbolizing Christ's body broken for us, pierced for us. Tortured, whipped for us. And so we have this table to symbolize this. Continuing on in verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Praise God for that. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the basis of our confidence to be in the presence of God is based on the blood of our Lord Jesus. And so let us never be fooled into thinking that it's based on our own propriety or our own morality. It's not anything that you and I have done. It is completely what Jesus Christ has done for us. To approach God, approaching God, you know, back in the old covenant days, it used to be out of fear. And now we're told that we can enter with confidence. And it's not to say like fear in terms of we're not supposed to enter fearless, but it is saying that we're not to enter like flippantly or presumptuously or haphazardly, that we still need to recognize God as holy and we gather to acknowledge the presence of holy God. And some people, they come for, for, for many, many reasons. They come to church for many reasons, whether it's just fellowship or community or that we're doing something for, for the community that is good. My hope is that your primary reason in coming to church is to encounter Christ. To encounter Christ in this place of meeting of us gathering together to be in God's presence with the expectation that we are going to hear from the living God. And so with reverence and respect, we enter because our re reconciliation to God came at a very great cost. Verse 20, By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And so now I'm going to bring up these lettuces. We're going to talk a little bit about salad. There's three lettuces here, right? So verses 22 through, I think, 24. Let us draw near. Now, in the Old Covenant, it was only the high priest who could do this, right, to go into the Holy of Holies. But things completely changed when Jesus was there on Calvary. And we read in verse 20 that Jesus Christ opened the way for us through this curtain, that this curtain no longer restricted access to God, that you and I, we now have 
access to God. The, the curtain was torn into as, bodies, as Christ's body was torn for us to give us access to God's presence with sincerity, with, with gratitude, to draw near with our true heart. There's no pretense in this. And it's just this honest, genuine approach to God. And then that last phrase in verse 22 about being sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I think this is speaking of making that profession of faith through baptism. Declaring Christ to be our living hope. And in, in the case of whom this letter was originally written to, that church was heavily persecuted. So it goes from this profession of faith directly to verse 23, where it says, let us hold fast. And the reason it's saying this is because you got to think back to that audience that this letter was written to, who was heavily persecuted, who was imprisoned, who was mistreated, that goes from this, let us draw near to this, let us hold fast. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, many of us, we aren't going through persecution like the, the early church did. But we all need to hold fast, to hold firm in these challenging times. And we face these moments of challenges all the time where we need to remember this profession of faith that we've made, to remember when our evil conscience was cleansed and our bodies were cleansed by our faith in Jesus Christ. So let us draw near, let us hold fast, let us consider. So the different lettuces are piling up on this healthy salad. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So this third lettuce, let us consider encouraging one another to love, to do good, to gather together. And I'm so thankful that we have gathered together this morning here. How have we done at these three lettuces? You know, we're told to not neglect to meet together, to, to meet together, and not to live in this isolation, as is the habit of some. And we profess to be members of one body, serving the one true God who loves us. But for, for some, there's this serious lack of attentiveness to meet together. And yet when we meet together, we're meeting purposefully, reverently, respectfully, confidently to care for one another, to encourage one another to love, to do good works. And this encouragement, this encouragement of one another is really difficult to do if we're just kind of siloed and isolated and, and not together. And when we meet together, we are to do this, to encourage one another. So I hope that you do this this morning, that you're not just coming in and then you're just taking off. Just take a moment to encourage someone. And, and don't leave here until you've done it. Don't go out the doors until you've done it. Just to have that word of encouragement for somebody. And we, Sylvia just mentioned that we were starting our home groups. And there's these discipleship groups that are happening too with, with people in groups of three or so that, that Mark Enomoto is heading up over here. 
And it's just a time to remember to not isolate yourself, to get involved in stirring one another up to, to love, to do good works. Now, you and I and all the people here, we're, we're all so different. There's like a diverse group of backgrounds and the types of music we like and the food we like and all this different stuff that goes on that we're all so different. I think there's some beauty in that too and that we can kind of like stir up all that stuff together and create something really beautiful. To love one another through those differences, to do good works even though we are so different that we can stir one another to encourage one another to do good works, to love one another. One of the telltale signs that you aren't doing so well spiritually is when you find yourself absent from community. Right? I, I, I've done quite a bit of counseling and I can always like, trace it back to like someone doesn't have community in their life to kind of encourage them, stir them on, to encourage them to like, make changes. That there's also this isolation that allows them to kind of fester within themselves. And so being absent from community is one of those telling signs about your relationship with God. The gathering of worship and study are to be places of encouragement, a place to talk, to pray with each other. And so I'm really looking forward to like this alpha class, which Billy has told me that it's 28 people, most of them from the community. Like the vast majority of people aren't from this church. I think he told me that there was like six from this church and then the rest of the 22 are from people just from the community. A lot of them because of good works that you guys have been doing. Reaching out to the homeless community, the refugee community all these years. And then we did that eye clinic. And so there's one person from the eye clinic that's there. But what the community realized and saw was, wow, that church is really doing good stuff. And that kind of like pushed them over the hump to say like, yeah, I'm going to check out that alpha class now. So it's, it's wonderful what you guys are doing. And this class about financial peace getting together. So there's eight folks that are in there. We have two more openings. First come, first serve. Go for it. Praying, talking, encouraging one another. Because I, I have no idea what people's financial situations are like. But if it's really bad for us to be there with you, pray with you, encourage you. To, to help you move forward. Now, I want to point out some key words in these let us statements. And back to verse 22, if you look at that, there's this word a faith attached there. And then if you skip down to the second let us statement in verse 23, it's, it's hope that, that is attached to that verse. And then you skip down to verse 24, and the word is love that is attached to that third let us. It's not by accident that the author is writing faith, hope, love. And he's putting that before us so that we pursue each one of these things in our efforts. Why? Points back to the victory statement of it's finished. That God did all this for us. That Jesus, it's done. So that you don't have to worry about this sinfulness in you. Jesus Christ cleansed you from that. You can pursue and move forward in faith, hope, love. You don't have to be weighed down with the other things. You can move forward with these things. Now, one of the key proofs of who we are as Christians is our continuance 
in our faith, in our hope, in our love. Most importantly, how we are doing with God right now today. How are you doing? We've received so many warnings in the letter to the Hebrews. A lot of warnings here to prevent us from the, the key warning back in chapter 2 is to, to prevent us from drifting away from God. So many warnings pointing us to this point. And then he continues to warn us. Look at verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? Now, this isn't describing most of us who we have struggles in our faith sometimes. Sometimes we fall, we have to brush off and get up again, and, and we, go, we have to get going. It's not describing someone like that. This is someone who is just outright rejecting Christ. This is what we call an apostate, someone who has not been transformed by God. And what do they do? Verse 29, trample underfoot the Son of God. They profane the blood. They outrage the Spirit of grace. And so what is this saying? They once did walk with Jesus. They once did acknowledge the blood. But now, because of this reprobate mind, they have become apostate, that there's no forgiveness for the apostate. Why? Because the only place that they could go is Jesus Christ, and it is Jesus Christ that they are now rejecting. Communion with God is not about these religious actions that we do, like come to church or take communion or anything of that nature. It is all about our repentance and our faith. It's not about our attachment to religious things or church attendance. But if an apostate, the unbeliever, continues to reject, and so the only expectation is this judgment. Verse 27. And these are very harsh words from the writer, but he's telling the truth here. He's just simply warning and saying, if you go this way, this is what happens. Verse 30, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And here's a very solemn warning. But it doesn't have to be like this. Because we read the story of the prodigal son who returned. It doesn't have to go this way. That upon repentance that the father did receive his son. And God can do this because of Jesus Christ. That it doesn't matter what you've done in your past. He's cleansed it. It's finished. It's enough. And you don't have to fall into that judgment. You can repent. You can turn to God. You don't have to continue living in a way where you are separated from God. Verse 32, But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew 
that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. And so here's a reminder that endurance through this adversity has the great potential to deepen your faith. That going through hard struggles together has potential to deepen partnerships with one another. You know, when you, when you know you have this common struggle, when you know you have this common suffering, we usually do come together. And that's happened over and over in our church. Like when Jane was going through her cancer, and we're going through that together as a community. And a lot of our relationships are really different now because of that struggle. There's been many things that have happened through the 19 years of this church where we've just struggled and suffered together through many different things. Suffering, adversity, they oftentimes come out with some really, really great outcomes because what happens is we start developing compassion for people in greater need. And so the example here used is like a prisoner. And so we have a brother who's in prison right now, and some of us have been visiting this particular brother who's going through this suffering and developing a sympathy and empathy for him as we go visit him. And so we start looking at the bigger picture of things and those smaller things that we disagree about, they just become smaller and smaller and less significant when you start looking at these bigger things. The bigger things that people are suffering through, the, the painful things, those huge struggles, those adversities. And as we walk together with those folks who are suffering, we, we develop this resilience. We develop a resilience that even when we, we lose our material possessions, as some of these people did suffer, that through these different experiences, we find out who our real friends are. We find out how faithful God is. And so then we start reprioritizing what's really important in our life because we can see things a little bit more clearly. And then we, we can actually do this on our own. If you guys just kind of timelined your own, your own kind of path to where you kind of grew the most in your spiritual life. If you just kind of plotted this, you can track your own kind of progress because you'll find, I think, if you do this exercise, that a lot of the, the most difficult struggles that you've ever experienced are probably the places where you actually develop the most compassion. It's probably the place where you've grown the most in terms of acceptance of people or even your own endurance or outlook on things or where you became the most generous person and started sharing and giving more of your stuff to somebody who was in more need, or where you reprioritize things, where, where things just became more different for you and how you looked at things, or, or your friendships, your deepest friendships came out of those times. Like the moments of growth. So if you're tempted to give up right now, Here's verse 35. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, 
which has great reward. Keep going. Keep going, no matter how difficult that is. Like you've made it this far till today, and you're here. Push through this. Don't, don't give up on this. Persevere through your struggle. But you can't do it yourself. You're going to have to join community that encourages you and that you can serve as an encouragement for them. Verse 36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. So doing the will of God moment by moment. Many of us kind of know what that will of God is, don't we? That person that you uh, don't want to forgive the will of God is to work that out. Um, if you aren't spending some time in communion with the Lord, whether that's through prayer or fellowship, worship, studying his word, there's the will of the Lord. That he really wants to be intimate with you and know you and for you to, to know God. That's for sharing the word of God, evangelism, for discipling someone, you know, someone who's not as far along as you are spiritually, encouraging one another, loving one another, gathering together. In Thessalonians, it talks about giving thanks being the, the will of God. It also talks about doing good is the will of God. You, 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 there's so many different places we can look to find the will of God. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and he, if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So, so here you, you read of two groups here. Interesting, is, interesting thing is that, that we all start out the same. It's, it's the same playing field. No one is given a, a leg up or anything like that. Everything's the same starting line. But then some shrink back, back and the other have faith to continue. And so this really, really important question for you this morning is, is which group are you? Are you sliding back or are you moving forward? And so that's why we have all of these warnings here. That if you continue in unbelief, you will receive judgment but if you continue in your faith, you'll be saved. Let's pray. Lord, may we heed your warnings. I ask God that um, you would speak to us to enlighten our minds as to how we can best encourage one another. Uh, for those who are lacking community, I, I pray, God, that you would open that up for them. Um, and, and some may attribute that to personality or whatever it may be that is holding them back. I, I ask, God, that they would look back to this, and, and you're telling us to hold fast the confession of our hope, that you're telling us to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And how is that possible if we're by ourselves? You're telling us to draw near. And so may we hold these truths in our mind and move forward doing your will, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.